let's just have chapel all day. That's how I feel. Okay, so um, I don't know if you're going to have lunch or not. I hope so. But that's really how I feel. Thank you, Majesty. Thank you, Russell. Thank you, those of you who have planned this chapel thus far. I just, um, uh, to break into, into the campus when I haven't been here for weeks, I guess months, I've, I'm just looking in, at my schedule in my mind, I don't think I've been in the United States more than about three and a half weeks so far in 1991 altogether. And so when I come here today, I feel more like I'm at home than I have for any time in 1991. Even my own home doesn't feel like home anymore because I'm there so seldom. I got home last night, I leave tomorrow afternoon. I get back again the end of the month, and that's just how it's been. So what a joy it is to be here. You know, those of you who don't know me, I, I, I could be the man in the moon because uh, your new students forgive me for being so familiar with you, and we haven't met yet. I apologize for that. Majesty, I can't wait to see how God is going to use you in the Soviet Union. If, if you could somehow know what you're going to encounter, you wouldn't be able to study, you wouldn't be able to do anything, you know. I'm not kidding. I'm really not kidding. And you're ready. You're ready. The song that you sang in Russian was beautiful. It sounded Russian. Okay? It sounded Russian. Not that the other songs weren't beautiful, okay? They were too, of course. I have so much in my heart uh, and so few minutes. The way Russell introduced me, of course, takes me back to part of why I believe God brought me here in the first place in 1985. And uh, so now I'm just trying to decide what I have time to say and what I don't. Let me come at it this way. In February, I think it was February 13th, I arrived in the Soviet Union taking four suitcases and seven boxes and traveling alone. And they forgot to meet me at the airport. So I've had experiences to find out, you know, God is in control. I mean, he, he's there. Other people may forget to show up, but God is always there. And was he ever there that day, coming through customs into Moscow with all those boxes, and one of them was filled with videotapes, and I would, you know, blank ones, and I was afraid they'd charge me a thousand dollars duty or something, you know? And other, others of them were filled with things like lecture notes that had been translated into Russian. Uh, one full big box like this full of lecture notes on seminary classes that three professors from the master's seminary would be teaching at the first seminary in the Soviet Union, kicking it off with 57 students. The other two boxes that were filled with file folders had lecture notes that had been translated into Russian that would help us as we taught 160 Soviet pastors how to start a new church because they've never seen a new church before. And a few other things. And so when the gal said put it all through the x-ray machine, uh, I didn't know what would happen. I really wasn't too worried. But then she said, put this box and that box up here and open those. And so I opened them and she came over, looked in the first one, pulled out a file folder, read the Russian that was there, called over a supervisor. The supervisor looked at it, also a woman, and she said, it is good to organize churches, you may go. Why would she say that in the Soviet Union where since she's a little girl she's been taught there is no God? Why would she say that? Why would she say it? 
two or three weeks later in the same trip, I found myself in the city of Borislav in the western Ukraine. Beautiful city in the mountains. Meeting with the mayor of the city. The church leaders had taken me there to help them meet with the mayor of the city because they were going to ask the mayor of the city to give them a large parcel of beautiful wooded land upon which they went to build a sanatorium to minister to the children of Chernobyl. Thousands of children who, because of the radiation from the Chernobyl accident, will not live beyond the age of 10 or 12 because of inoperable cancer or inoperable congenital heart defects. And the church leaders want to build a sanatorium there so that they can minister to them physically, but also so that they can minister to them spiritually, so that these thousands of children are going to be able to die in the comfort of the arms of Jesus. And we told this to the mayor of the city. And by the time our meeting was finishing, we were, I was talking to him with clarification, asking now, how many square kilometers is it that you're going to give us? Can you imagine? Give us several, that's like in the same neighborhood as several square miles of beautiful wooded mountain property the government is going to give the church. Incredible. How could that be? Why would that be? About three weeks ago, I was meeting with the deputy mayor in the city of Kiev, and he said this. A communist. And he said this. He said, the future of the Soviet Union must certainly place high importance on religion. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? What has happened in the Soviet Union? How could it be? You see, what has happened in the Soviet Union over the last 73 years is that in the midst of that great persecution that the Christians have had, for to be a Christian in the Soviet Union has meant that you would be denied education. If you were a Christian in the Soviet Union, you could never attend a university. Only because you identified with Jesus. To be a Christian in the Soviet Union meant that you could never arise. You could never raise above an entry-level position. You would be the street sweeper. You would be the laborers in the factory. Only because you identified with Jesus Christ. Well, what possibly could have happened... That suddenly now to be a Christian is to be the most re among the most respected people in the Soviet Union. Through that great persecution, many died. Many of, many of the men that we work with, their fathers were taken away or their grandfathers and they were never seen again. Their crime? Preaching the Bible. Teaching the Bible. How could it be that today the most respected people in the Soviet Union are the Christians? Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 2 Timothy in chapter 2. You see, in the Soviet Union, it's been a nation that has followed the philosophies of men. They've followed the so-called communist experiment since 1917. They followed this as a dream. They really believed that the answers were there, that the answers would be found in theories of men and they've ignored the truth of the word of God. And the result of that is that in the Soviet Union today there's utter chaos. It's a nation that's bankrupt in every way. They're bankrupt economically. They're bankrupt politically. They're bankrupt morally. They're bankrupt spiritually. They're bankrupt. It's a nation that's come to the end of itself because it followed 
the philosophies of men, and it ignored the truth from the word of God. And so the two factors at work in the Soviet Union today are, one, it's a nation in despair. A nation that has nowhere to turn. Except the possibility that the whole nation could turn to Jesus Christ. And I believe it's a very strong possibility. I'll give you more reasons for that as we go. And I share that with you for prayer. And even as majesty would be sent by this student body, by this school, to the Soviet Union, to be a part of that. Second Timothy, chapter 2. I can't chew gum and ride a bike or turn pages and talk at the same time. So wait a minute so I get there. Okay. Here the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, gives, gives some insight in, 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 into his instruction here. Insight that, that apparently the church in the Soviet Union paid a lot of attention to. In verse 3, he says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Well, I don't know if anybody in the history of the universe has ever suffered more hardship for a longer period of time than the Christians in the Soviet Union. If you suffer hardship as a good soldier of Christ... Maybe someday that would contribute to your country respecting what you stand for in Christ. Or let's look at the next verse. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You know what I think that verse is talking about? I think it's talking about values. I think it's talking about when those who belong to Christ aren't careful and they buy in to the values of the world. As the church has to a great extent in America in these days. What, what are the affairs of everyday life? What are the values of the world in America today? I may have said this at a previous time, but I'm more and more confirmed each time I come in and out of our culture. Western culture today can be described this way. We are obsessed with three pursuits. We chase stuff, we chase status, and we chase amusement. And the typical American today and the typical Western European as well, caught up in this, seldom ever thinks a critical thought, that is a vital thought, that is a deep thought, such as, what's the purpose of life? Why am I on the planet? What happens when I die? That's why it's so hard to witness the people in America. They're living in the superficial zone in their minds, right? They're filling their lives with fluff. With fluff. If you fill your mind with, with things and the pursuit of status and with amusement and entertainment of different types, and you just fill your consciousness with that, then you never have to encounter a question such as, why am I alive? What happens when I die? Right? Now, we haven't done a great job, even my, uh, myself included. Most of us haven't done a great job of avoiding the entanglement in the affairs of everyday life. But in the Soviet Union, the church there has done a very good job of avoiding the entanglement in the affairs of everyday life. And it was like a gift from God, you know. It is 
it is given unto you, unto you both to believe and to suffer. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, the end of chapter 1. Okay? I mean, suffering really is a gift. Look at this. There's no stuff to chase in the Soviet Union. There's no status to chase. There's no amusement. So the, so the church, for the church, it's been easier to be the church. Because the world's values haven't been encroaching in on it. Because the world is bankrupt in its values. Oh, they still like those things, but and especially for the church. Because if you were on the lowest rung economically, you didn't make enough money to be interested in pursuing stuff. Because there was no money. And you had no chance of upward mobility. And there was no amusement or enjoyment opportunity available anyway. And so they didn't get caught up into that as we've gotten caught up into that. And then look what he says in the next verse. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. That's all about avoiding compromise, isn't it? Boy, and again, the world's values have slipped so much into our lives that make it unclear sometimes as to how to slice it, how to answer it when we have a problem. Well, everybody's kind of doing this. Does that sort of make it all right? Situation, situation ethics has really come in to the church in America, and it's really come into the church in the Soviet Union also. That's one problem that they have. It's one problem that they really have in the church in the Soviet Union, because life is so bad. And... And the, the, in the communist system, they taught, they taught them that everybody owns everything, right? Everybody owns everything. So if, if you work in a bakery, that means you own the bread. And if you have a friend, he works in a butcher shop, he thinks he owns the meat. And so you, you can't, you're having trouble buying meat, he's trouble, having trouble buying bread. And so you just make an exchange of the stuff that, that you already own, right? That's stealing. But they've, they've convince themselves that it isn't. Look over in verse 21. Verse 20. Here he's talking about being a sanctified vessel. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful, to the master prepared for every good work. Set apart, useful to the master for every good work. Now, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The church has done a pretty good job in following Paul's admonition to Timothy to flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And I think the key has been in the last part of this verse, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, the strength they've had together in the midst of persecution, carrying one another's burdens, staying close together, holding one another accountable. And then finally, the Apostle Paul talks to Timothy in verses 24, 25, and 26 about the importance of, of having a gentle spirit. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So if you are a gentle servant, if you are a sanctified vessel, if you 
live in such a, a way as to avoid compromise, living according to God's word, if you avoid entanglement in the affairs of everyday life, and if you suffer hardship as a good soldier of Christ, if you endure persecution and do it with joy, if you have a history of 73 years of principally living that way, then what has occurred in the Soviet Union is that as their nation comes to the end of itself, and they have no answers, guess who are they, they are looking to for the answers? They're looking to the Christians for the answers. Now, how does this fit call to the marketplace? Well, all these Christians have had jobs. They've been called to work as unto the Lord over in Ephesians in chapter 6. Let's look there for a minute. How did they get there? How did they gain this respect in the marketplace as well? The Apostle Paul in verse 5 of chapter 6. Slaves, you could say employees, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. Boy, have you ever had that kind of respect for the boss that God has put over you on a job with fear and trembling? In the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, Christ it is that we serve. We have a higher reason, a higher reason to do a good job. Not by way of eye service. In other words, don't only work well when they're watching as men pleasers, but as what? Slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God. How? From the heart. From the heart. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men. That's what it's all about in the marketplace. The Russians have proven that you don't have to be in high positions in order to gain respect of your countrymen. They've proven that all you have to do is try to live according to the principles of God's word, and God will honor that. Now, a lot of them died for it, okay? Didn't happen overnight. But God isn't in a hurry, is he? Okay. A whole nation now is positioned to come to Christ because, because of two things. Because the lies they followed have resulted in a nation in bankruptcy. And secondly, because in the midst of that, they couldn't help but see the steadfastness of the body of Christ as they continued to live in obedience in the midst of great persecution, in the midst of no hope in terms of upward mobility, no hope in terms of getting a house or a nicer place to live or getting a car, any of that. No hope of any of that. The things that, that we think will, will find you pleasure in America. So in the Soviet Union today, the Christians are respected because of how they endured the persecution and everybody watched it. They're respected because they're the only people in the country who have joy in the midst of this despair. They're the only ones who have the potential, who have the capacity to have joy. And they're respected because they have earned a reputation of being kind, of being gentle, of being people who were known for their love and to reach out even to those who had persecuted them in, in the darkest and the hardest of the days. And it has even impacted now at the highest level of their society. It's utterly amazing. About three weeks ago, I was meeting with uh, Dr. Gregory Commandant. Anybody remember him? How many remember him? It's good. It's good. The rest of you are new. 
Dr. Grigori Commandant has an honorary doctorate from the Master's College. He spoke at our graduation last year, and he is the president of the Baptist denomination for the entire Soviet Union, numbering about 3,000 churches. And he is the one who has arranged for Majesty to have a tour of eight cities in the Soviet Union and is very excited that you are coming, and everyone is excited that you're coming. You're not only going to participate in evangelism that is certainly to be very, very fruitful, but also you'll be a great encouragement to the churches in the Soviet Union because especially we're going to cities where, where there haven't been visitors from the West before in many cases. Anyway, I was meeting with Commandant, as we affectionately call him, and he said, he said, I met with Mr. Gorbachev last week. Can you imagine? Here's one of these guys that I was telling you about being persecuted, okay? One of, the, one of these guys that, you know, w would never amount to anything because he identified with some people called Christians uh, who, who had a better chance of getting killed than moving up in society. Well, Dr. Gagori Commandant told me this about his meeting with Mr. Gorbachev, the president of the Soviet Union. He said, I couldn't believe it. He said, uh, it, it was a man-to-man, -man, heart to heart very personal meeting, no agenda. I met with him for an hour and 20 minutes. And he said, he's open. More than that, he may be close to salvation. He said, would you ask our brothers and sisters in America to pray that God would save Mikhail Gorbachev? And then we talked a little bit about Yeltsin, Boris Yeltsin, who's the other key leader in the Soviet Union at this point in time. And I really believe, and you may think I'm crazy, I really believe that if, if God would save Gorbachev and Yeltsin, that whole country would turn to Christ. It's just ready to, because there's nowhere else to turn. There are no solutions to their problems. I come away from that country every time, and I, I'm thinking, now what we should do is pull a blind down and just mark it closed. This nation now closed, you know? But you can't do that. Yeah, 300 million people would still be behind the blind, you know? The only answer is Jesus Christ. And the answer for your careers doesn't matter. I used, to think it, I used to think it really mattered what your job was. The Soviets have taught me it doesn't matter what your job is. You know, it wouldn't matter if, if God called you to work at McDonald's the rest of your life. It wouldn't matter if you understood that you were there to advance the kingdom. You would be the most joyful person McDonald's ever saw. Okay? I really mean it, okay? And I, I've had a number of different careers, and I'm convinced, seeing the church in the Soviet Union, you know, I used to come to Marketplace and say, hey, hey, what you got to do is, is, is study hard uh, and get the best job you can get, and, and then pe more people will be able to sort of sit in the uh, fallout of your presence, you know? I don't believe that anymore. I, I believe that God has called some of you to rise to the heads of corporations, and that is wonderful, but not all of you. And for the ones of you who, that he hasn't called to do that, don't be in, in dismay or despair. Just be thankful that our sovereign God has a plan for your life that's perfect for you. And in the midst of that, in the midst, as you walk in obedience and find yourself in the center of God's will, you will not have a midlife crisis. You will not be in despair because somebody else has a nicer house because houses won't any longer make that much difference to you. Because as you're sold out to Christ and as you see God work in your life, and even if you were working in McDonald's for the rest of your life, and by the way, in the Soviet Union... Somebody working in McDonald's makes more than a Ph.D. I don't know what that has to do with anything. That sounds like a real cultural clash, doesn't it? Somehow. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you as I begin to wrap up here.
how the Lord used Dr. Lynn Carruthers in the Soviet Union. The Lord used him as a teacher of those who will teach children and others and, and teach others to teach children. I mean, he, he just, as someone says, lit them up, you know? God really used him uh, to teach people representing 450 churches in the Soviet Union how they can, how they can train their teachers how, in Sunday schools. They've never had Sunday schools. Many of these churches don't have Sunday schools yet. And just trying to figure out how to do that. And then, talk about a broad-gauge fellow, okay? Ph.D. in math and physics, USC. Who's a children's ministries expert, okay? We went from there to Moscow, where he spoke to 50 Ph.D.s from the Academy of Science on the subject, the mathematical basis of the theories of, create, of creation science. Okay? Can you imagine? There are, there are now over 100 Ph.D.s in Moscow who think Darwin was wrong, okay? And God has given us a window of opportunity with him. God really used him there tremendously. And, and others, and the seminary professors from the Master's Seminary did fantastic. And they can't wait for Dr. MacArthur to come back. You know, they're, they're trying to get all the pastors in the Soviet Union to come when he speaks in, in Siberia that first week in October. And so whatever job it is, okay, the key is as unto the Lord. The key is to follow the principles from the word of God. And when you get in a place where people who don't even know Jesus are willing to give a month's pay for a Bible, you know, makes you want to read your Bible more, you know. We take it for granted. Can you imagine? People who aren't even Christians who have never been to church will give a month's pay to get one of these? Why? Because when you come to a point of realizing that it's God who created the universe, and then he wrote a book, a handbook, to tell you how to live in his universe. That's a pretty important book, right? For those of you who are coming to the Soviet Union this summer, and the others, those who are coming on teams, and for the rest of you who need to come next year and the year after, and for those of you who didn't sign up yet who are graduating for the language program starting in September, uh, it's still, I can still get you in. Can you imagine? Going to study Russian or Ukrainian in a university where a year and a half ago a Christian couldn't be admitted. And now, now they are helping us train missionaries. When I was last there meeting with the dean in January, he just blew me away. He said, wouldn't you like us to teach them some biblical vocabulary as a communist dog? I said, what? You mean you could? I, I'd already lined the church people up to do that, you know. And he said, well, sure, you're the customer. Whatever you say, you know, we can do it. Well, now we have a whole new ballgame. I started to get me thinking about praying. I mean, these, these guys that are going to be teaching our people, Russian and Ukrainian, and biblical vocabulary, they're already in the kingdom, aren't they? I mean, how could they avoid getting saved in the process of that, you know? And there are now 20 students at that university, 20 Christian students at that university. And you know what? They sent their leader to meet with me. He came 40 miles out of their way because he came to find me to say, you know, we, we want to evangelize our university. We have no idea how to start. How do we do that? Will you teach us? Will you show us how? So those of you who come to language school at Kiev State University also will be involved in probably turning that university of 30,000 upside down for Christ. Everybody's interested. And so I, I, I share two experiences with you as I close. At, on the last day of the church planting conference, I was leading a concert of prayer. They stand, okay, because they believe that when you come into the presence of God, you do it with respect. Pretty good thought, right? 
So either they either kneel or they stand. They would never sit and pray. Okay, that means long prayer meetings get tiresome physically. No concert of prayer, and we're praying, and I'm giving them prayer requests, and I'm saying no. Would, would, and you always have to say, well, two or three pray, because if you don't say two or three, fifteen will pray, and you, and you lost control of me, you never get the mic back. You know, that's how they pray. Okay. And so one prayer request was to pray that God would open the hearts of the people right around the building there, right around the church building, right in that community. God would open their hearts to the gospel. And about an hour later, after we had prayed that, a man came in off the street, sat in the back row. And at the break, about 15 minutes later, he came right up to the guy who was speaking and to the guy who was translating. And he said, my name is Dimitri. I'm about 30 years. He said, I'm 30 years old. He knew how old he was. He didn't say about. <laughs> See, it's, my Russian isn't so good, you know. It's, so he came, said, I'm 30 years old. I have a wife and two or three kids. My life is a total mess. All kinds of problems, trouble. I don't know what to do. He said, I'm looking for God. Can you show me where I can find God? Five minutes later, he's on his knees, weeping in repentance, coming to Christ. I mean, we prayed that God would open the hearts of the people. Not only did he open the hearts of the people in the community, he brings them right in, into the conference, and gets them saved in front of 160 pastors. Three days later, we're in a city called Cherkasi, three hours east of Kiev. Church of about 650, a brand new building, beautiful. 200 kids in the Sunday school class, Sunday school program. I was the third preacher that morning. For those of you who don't know, a Soviet service is two and a half to three hours long and three to four sermons. And I was the third and last one that day. For the first two minutes, I was sort of doing an introduction, talking about what had happened in their country. And I was talking to them about how they had, their nation had followed the philosophies of men. And, and that had produced a nation in despair because they had ignored the word of God. And I was about two minutes of that. And a pulpit's over here on the right side, not on the center. There is a center aisle. A man starts down this long center aisle. At first I thought, oh, it's just a guy with a weekend pass from the hospital, you know. Deacons will take care of him. You know, a guy confused in his mind. I kept preaching. He came down about halfway down, and I'm thinking, I look, I could see his face, and it was very clear, lucid. And he was on a mission. He was coming fast. I thought, boy, it must be the KGB, and he's coming to get me because of what I just said. I keep preaching. He finally comes up. He's starting to come up the steps. Then I thought, maybe it's just a deacon coming to rebuke me because he doesn't like something I said, you know? He comes up on the platform, falls on his knees, throws his hands up in there. He's about 35 years old. And he starts crying out, weeping, asking God to forgive his sins. He couldn't wait till the end of the message, till the end of the service, you know? I mean, he was going to get saved right now. Nobody even asked him to get saved, you know? Nothing. So... I'm always conscious that God doesn't need us. You know, he just lets us in on his program. Do you realize that? He doesn't need us. He just lets us in on it for the joy of that. And I'm thinking, boy, he sure didn't need me today. And so I sat down. I figured I was done, right? I mean, what do you do? Well, while I'm sitting down, six more people come and repent. They're all on their knees and they're all crying and pastors are ministering to them. And they give me a handful of gospels according to Luke and they they ask me to go greet them and, and give them gospels and... And then they said, okay, get back up there and preach some more. So I got back up. I preached for about 15 minutes, and I gave an invitation for repentance, and seven more people came. Well, it could be 70 on some days in the Soviet Union. Okay, that's just how it is. Majesty, you're going to see that. You're just going to see it. See it, see it, see it, see it. I mean, the whole country is saying, what is truth? Will somebody tell us what is truth? They're saying we've been lied to all our lives. What is truth? Why are we on the planet? And distributing tracts is so much fun, so much fun. You just can't find anybody wants that. Everybody wants one, you know. Everybody wants one. 
I usually give them to people standing in line to buy cigarettes and booze and stuff like that because they're standing in line to buy a counterfeit. You know? Something they think will help them and to give them the word of God and have them read it while that. I've never stayed long enough to see how many check out of line, you know? Maybe they get saved and spin out, you know? It's the end of the time. <laughs>